So once upon a time, there was this king, and as kings do, he was deliberating over matters of justice over, um, for his people, and he was sitting in his court, and these two women run into court, and one shouts out, this woman stole my baby. And the king thinks to himself, it's going to be one of those days. This woman goes on to say, we live in the same house, we were pregnant at the same time, I gave birth to a baby, and then three days later, she gave birth to a baby, but last night, her baby died, and she stole mine. And this other woman says, while holding the baby, no, I didn't. This baby is my baby. And so the king, as all good kings would, says, I've seen enough people for today. Why don't you come back tomorrow? <laughs> no, he didn't say that. He sat on his throne, and he stroked his beard as all kings, all good kings have a beard. Maybe not like a Confucius beard. He was a Chinese king, apparently, so one of these. And he thought to himself. And he responded to these two women. He said, okay, so whose baby is it? How do I figure this one out? He called the guard and he said, guard, bring me a sword. And he said to the mother, mother, give me your baby. And so the king is holding the baby in one arm and a sword in the other. And he says, you're both going to have the baby. You'll have one half and you'll have the other. And it proceeds to cut the baby in half. Not quite. He was about to. The first mother calls out and says, stop. Don't do it. I would rather the baby live and be with this other woman than for you to kill this baby. And then the king knew who's the real mother is, the one who would rather see the child live than to die. So this story is, of course, about King Solomon. It might be familiar to some of you. King Solomon was King David's son. He was um, the writer of the book of Proverbs and other wisdom literature. He is the ancestor of Jesus, of course, and he was known to be one of the wisest kings in, to ever have lived. And as a child, this story captured my imagination. When I thought about wisdom, King Solomon was the very pinnacle of wisdom. Now, you also have to understand that King Solomon also had 700 wives and 300 concubines, so you take that with a grain of salt, how wise he actually was. And you might be wondering, what does King Solomon have to do with the book of James? And so we've entitled this, Practical Wisdom for Every Day. So when we're talking about wisdom, which we will be in particular today, think about Solomon, I think about the book of James. So we're going to talk about that. We're also going to look at riches and what James has to say, but we're also going to loop back to lay a little bit more groundwork for understanding James, to give ourselves a framework for what James is saying, because if you were to take a look at the book of James and, and, and to read it, you will see that there is this intertwining of themes, and so I want to, I want to bring that out. And so everything from chapter 1, verses 1 to 11 sorts, sort of lays the groundwork for what is to come, and so we're going to try to take a look at that uh, as, as a whole. So I'm going to read you James chapter 1, 1 to 11 again. So if you want to open up your Bibles, um, it, it will be on the screens behind me, but I highly encourage you that if you physically have a Bible, um, that you should open it. Because I think there's, there's something lost when we, you know, scroll through uh, our devices, when we just tap on the book that we want and it magically shows up at the chapter. Um, there's something about when you flip through the Bible and you get to know what the order is, what else is around, what is there, um, I think we lose something when we don't physically interact with a Bible. So there are Bibles in the seat back in front of you. If you want to turn to James, it's in the latter half of the New Testament. 
right after the book of Hebrews. So you would probably find Hebrews first because James only has five chapters. Hebrews has 12. So turn to the book of James, chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. And this is what James says. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich boast in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fall, and its beauty perishes. So also would the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. So like I said, we are still now in the introduction part of this letter, and some of the key themes that you will see come out in the book of James are on display here. Themes of trials and temptations and testing of your faith. How is the Christian believer, how is the follower of Jesus Christ to rightly respond to these things in their lives? James talks a lot about this throughout um, the rest of this letter. We also talk about wisdom. James lays out that if you are lacking wisdom, you should simply ask. Wisdom is a large part of what James is talking about in this letter. And then also, he talks about the relationship between the rich and the poor. And this comes out, again, in his letter to the diaspora, the dispersion, the 12 tribes in, uh, of Jerusalem. And so you will see not only that he introduces these themes, but as you read the book, you'll see that there are an intertwining of these key themes, that they move in and out, and they inform one another as you look at the book of James. And so that's why I feel like I keep tooting this horn every time I come up here. It's important that you read the book of James in one sitting. Don't take it just in chunks. Read the whole book so you get an understanding of the scope of what James is talking about, what he is trying to communicate, and the various ways that it speaks to one another. Not only do you do that when you read, but you will see that he is heavily influenced by the Old Testament in the book of Proverbs, which is the wisdom book, also, again, written by King Solomon, specifically chapters 1 to 9, Proverbs 1 to 9. If you reach Proverbs 1 to 9, you will see this come out. But not only that, but also the Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew chapter 5 to 7. Jesus teaching about what it means to be part of the kingdom of God, what it means to follow him. And so <clears throat> James is heavily influenced by both of these um, key themes. But what do we know about James? We know that he is the brother of Jesus the half-brother of Jesus. We know that he was a post-resurrection convert, that during his life and during the life and ministry of Jesus, James was not supportive of what he was doing. But Jesus, after he died and rose again, he appeared directly to James to say, 
hey, bro, <laughs> I'm back. And he was a leader of the church in Jerusalem. So this, the church in Jerusalem was also the seat of um, wisdom in that the, a council was there. So whenever there were matters for this early burgeoning church to deliberate, they brought it to the council in Jerusalem, of which James was one of the key leaders. And so, for instance, when Paul um, was converted and then he subsequently um, started his journey, his first missionary journey to the Gentiles, whether or not he should have a ministry to the Gentiles, he brought it to the Jerusalem council. They deliberated and gave him their blessing. James would have been part of that council. And so James, for all intents and purposes, is a wise man. Yet if you look at the beginning of this book, he identifies himself not with any of those titles, any of the honorifics that he could. He doesn't say James, uh, the brother of Jesus, or James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem. No, what does he say? He says that he is a servant of God, a doulos of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ, kurios, Lord Jesus Christ. I want to just take an aside right now because this, this word kurios is very, very interesting. So the word kurios is the Greek translation of the word Adonai. Adonai is, um, is um, Hebrew, and th the word Adonai means Lord, but it's actually a substitute for the name of the Lord, the, the, the name that the Lord reveals to the Israelites, Yahweh. But when the, the Jewish people, they would, not, they would not write that word or the, write the name of, um, of God because it was so sacred and that they, 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 they just wouldn't do it. And so in replacement of Yahweh, they would write Adonai. And then whenever Adonai is translated in the New Testament, it's translated kurios or Lord. So when, when, um, when James says he is a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, and really James does this, and I think Jude does it. Jude is also a brother of Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ, he is stating um, in no uncertain terms, that he belongs to the Lord or Yahweh, G Yahweh God, Jesus Christ. So he is affirming right off the bat that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus himself is God, I think as we covered a little bit last week. So that's a little bit about curious. All right. So James is wise. But he knows that his wisdom comes not from himself, that this wisdom that he has is a gift. And that's why he um, presents himself in this letter as a servant of God. Not all the titles that he has, not all of the ways that he can prove himself to be wise, but that his wisdom comes as a gift. And again, the book is influenced by Proverbs, influenced by Matthew. And this isn't surprising that because James, you know, his Jewish heritage would have put him into, um, he would have learned about Pro the book of Proverbs and then he would have been in proximity to Jesus um, during Jesus' ministry. And I like to, I like to think that, that he was like the secretly supportive brother, you know, that even though he didn't come right out and say, because you know how, how it is with siblings, right? How, it's, how hard is it to really encourage your brother or sister to say something nice to them? You, know, you don't want to do that. But I think secretly... You know, if you were to look at the, the multitude when, God, when Jesus was preaching in the Sermon of the Mount, he would, he would have been there just kind of listening intently. That's what I want to think about James and how he, uh, how he interacted with Jesus. So as a pastor, I would encourage you, again, read James in one sitting. And if you are really diligent and really studious, also read Proverbs 1 to 9 and Matthew 5 to 7. Oh, that's a lot of reading in the Bible. Pastor Kevin, yes, it is, okay? Just do it. It'll be good for you. You'll find it very enriching, I promise. Okay, 
So, this week, I've been thinking a lot about wisdom and about riches because this is what I'm preaching on. Um, And as I was thinking about these things, I was asking myself some questions, and I thought I should ask you these questions because I've got answers to this question, but I would like to know what your answers are. Okay, so here's the first question. How many of you have ever thought to yourself, man, it sure would be nice if I had just a little bit more money to make my life a little more comfortable, to smooth things over just a little bit more? How many of you thought that? How many of you, when Tim Hortons roll up the rim to win comes around, drinks twice as much coffee as you normally would because you really need that car, you really want that car, right? How many of you, when um, like the hospital, like the Princess Princess Margaret lottery comes around, you think, oh, I can buy this. It's supporting a good cause. And if I I win it, I'll give 10% back to God. Anybody think these things? Is it just me? Am I the only one? (laughs) Because I think we all look for riches, right? We all want at least some material security, and this is a priority for many of us. Being able to take care of our own physical needs, the physical needs of our family, the material needs of our family is important. Now, we might not want to get rich, right? We may not want to go crazy and buy, like, a Rolls-Royce Phantom or, you know, um, Ferraris or whatever it is that, you know, rich people buy or have. So it, it may not be that. We might want not to get rich, right, like 98% of the world does. 98% of you, in, no, maybe not in this room, not 98% of you in this room, 98% of the people out there want to get rich, right? Because they want to have material security. They want not to have to worry about how to take care of themselves and their families. How many of you ever thought this to yourself? that I don't know what to do, I need help. I don't know what to do, I need help. Now, I don't mean this in the way like, I don't know how to set up my Wi-Fi. I need to call Rogers. That's not what I'm talking about. Or, I don't know how to build this shed, I need to call Home Depot, you know? Um, That's not the kind of help. I mean like the really deep, painful, existential, I don't know what to do, I need help. How many of you are parents and have stared at your teenager or maybe your two-year-old and said, I don't know what to do with you, (laughs) I need help? Or maybe it's in a relationship that you have where um, the friendship has just um, dissolved and you don't know how it happened or why it happened and, and you're at the end of your rope and you're hurt and you're wondering, what do I do? I don't know. I need help. Have you, have you ever asked yourself that question? Have you ever thought that thought? Because I think we're all looking for wisdom in one way or another, right? We're looking for the how-to. How do I make a decision about this thing in my life? How do I, um, how do I be happy by doing what? How, how do I succeed in life? We, we have this uh, entire sections in the bookstore on self-help books or, or pop psychology. We go to YouTube to, to look up um, do-it-yourself projects, right? We want to know how to, how to, um, the last thing I looked up was how to safely wrap uh, live wires that are outdoor that I don't need anymore. That's a real problem that I had that I had to search up. The thing before that that I searched up was, 
how do I modify my Nerf gun to hurt more when I shoot my children? That was the, I'm just kidding, no, I, I did not. I, I did not search for that. That was not what I looked up. So we want to know um, how, we want to know how to. We, we are looking for wisdom everywhere. Everywhere. Our, our lives, those are our priorities, riches and wisdom, right? And so as I thought about this more and more this week, I thought, where do these two things intersect most in our, our current society, in our current culture? And the thing that I thought of was celebrity. Wisdom and riches coalesce and come together in the celebrity. Listen, hear me out. Celebrities in our day and age, they are looked to as the heroes, right? Whether, whether or not it's in sport, whether or not it's in music or in movies or entrepreneurs, um, these, they, they are looked at as heroes, as role models for their success, right? And not only that, these people have a platform for transmitting all of their thoughts and all of their feelings 24 hours a day, seven days a week, right? Social media, and so we have unfettered access now to the inner thoughts and unfiltered thoughts of so many celebrities, people that we look up to, people that we, we see as role models and heroes. And they're considered authorities really just due to their celebrity because they must be doing something right to be as successful as they are. And even though we might not think of the things as they say as wise or as wisdom, okay, you would be surprised if you said, if you, if you put in your favorite celebrity and put in quotes, how many people have, cat, have cataloged quotes of these people. They have these fans and they have these followers who want to be like them. And, and so in being like them, they, they begin to listen and then uh, unbeknownst to them, they begin to internalize the things that they hear um, from celebrities and, and they take it as wisdom. I want to bring to you one person, and, and I do not mean to disparage this celebrity in any way, but, but as I prayed and as the Spirit revealed, this was the name that came to me. So um, her name is Ariana Grande. Anybody familiar with who Ariana Grande is? Okay, very successful recording artist, was an actor. Um, so she has 157.6 million followers on Instagram. 157.6 million. That's roughly half of the population of the United States of America. Four times the population of Canada. That is how many people follow her, are interested in her, are looking up to her to give them direction in their lives. She has 63.8 million followers on Twitter. Ariana Grande has a net worth somewhere between 50 to 80 million dollars. So that's a bit of her bio, okay? And she has a lot to say about wisdom and riches, and you can be found in her song called Seven Rings. I love that. Every this happened in the first service too. As soon as I said Seven Rings, you had the chuckles, like, I know that song. I know what that's about. I want to read you another quote, though. I didn't do this in the first service, but I, I just love this quote from, from Ariana Grande, because there are girls like my daughters who are listening to Ariana Grande and thinking, oh, she's cool. So what she thinks is cool. Ariana Grande, Ariana Grande said this. She says, I like Sleeping Beauty, the movie, because she's just sleeping and looking pretty and waiting for boys to come and kiss her. That sounds like a good life. Lots of naps and cute boys fighting dragons to come kiss you. 
okay? That's just to give you some context of Ariana Grande. Again, I don't mean to disparage her, I just found that um, quote very, very whimsical. So this is what it says in her, in her song, Seven Rings, when it comes to wisdom and riches. It says, and I'm going to read it, I'm going to spare you the torture of singing it and my, my ridicule for myself, so I'm going to say it to you instead of singing it. It says, whoever said money can't solve problems must not have had enough money to solve them. Okay? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it like she sings it. Okay? They say, which one? I say, nah, I want all of them. Happiness is the same price as red bottoms. Now, red bottoms aren't, um, you know, like blood-colored underwear. That's not what red bottoms are. Red bottoms uh, are referring to Christian Louboutins, which is a designer shoe, which costs roughly five to $6,000 per pair, okay? So for Ariana Grande, happiness is the same price as red bottoms. And the chorus is the best part of the song. It is so catchy. It says this. I'll sing this part. It says, she says, I see it, I like it, I want it, I got it. I see it, I like it, I want it, I got it. Is that not just... Okay, now that you've got past the spectacle of that, listen to the words. She says, I see it, I like it, I want it, I got it. That is the wisdom of Ariana Grande when it comes to riches. I want you to listen again to James's wisdom about riches in James chapter 1, verse 11. He says, For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. And in verse 9, he says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. So the lowly brother in this verse is a believer. Um, this word that James used, brother or adolphos in, uh, in the Greek, it means brother, so a brother as a believer. It's a believer who is lowly, lowly in the fact that he is of very little significance in the eyes of the world, um, either because of his socio socioeconomic background, whatever, whatever reason that the society has to marginalize people, that's where he would be put in that category. So the lowly brother is, um, and so the lowly brother and the rich, both of them are called to boast. Now this word boast doesn't mean what you might think in terms of like boasting from a, um, uh, from a, a place of pride or a place of um, exalting themselves. But this boasting uh, used by James and elsewhere by Paul is to say uh, rejoice in the Lord. So you can read this as let the lowly brother rejoice in the Lord in his exaltation and the rich man rejoice in the Lord in his humiliation. And so this is an interest, this is interesting, this, this juxtaposition between the rich being, I mean, the, the poor being exalted and the rich being humiliated. What James is saying here that the poor, because of their status in this life, because they are marginalized, they are under-resourced, it drives them to cling to God for their eventual exaltation in the next life. So they can boast that because um, their status situation drives them to trust in God that they then can believe in him to exalt them when Jesus comes again. And for the rich, 
The rich are able also to rejoice in the Lord, but in their humiliation because they are to humble themselves. These are rich believers as well. So the rich believers are, are, are um, exhorted by James to humble themselves. In this life, because of all their riches, they don't have to trust God like the poor person, like the poor and lowly brother. But they must work harder to, in order to trust God in this life because they have so much. And so they need to trust God for, um, for the next. If, if, if they're so able to take care of themselves in this life, sometimes it's harder for the rich person to think about what's coming next, how their riches will fade like flowers scorched by the sun. This, friends, is, this is the great reversal Right? It is the great reversal of the gospel message. I, I can't stress this enough, that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, to many ears does not sound like good news. This is the gospel that's the, where uh, we are told that God made the weak things of the world to shame the strong, and he took the, fo the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. The reversal that says... Um, in the words of John the Baptist about Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. When the word tells us that the last shall be first and the first shall be last. And Christ himself, the great reversal that in his death, he conquered death. That by dying, Christ conquered death. This is not the wisdom of the world, my friends. This is the wisdom of God. And this is the wisdom that God offers you. Do you wonder there's no, that there's no one singing, why there's no one singing songs from James's wisdom? No one's singing, the poor exalted, the rich humiliated. We don't hear that. But this is wisdom. And there is so much that can be said about wisdom. I wish I could fit it all into one sermon. But there's enough to fill books, entire libraries written about wisdom. But in the context of James, wisdom really just means this. Wisdom is God's spirit giving life to my thoughts and to my actions. Wisdom is God's spirit giving life to your thoughts and your actions. There's a, there's a tradition in my family, as um, some of you know, uh, my wife and I, we have four children, uh, two girls and two boys. The oldest is 15 and the youngest is nine. Uh, I've made it a, um, a ritual, something that we do is that every Monday morning when we are able to, um, I take one of them out for breakfast. Um, this is so that I can spend some you know, quality one-on-one -on -one time with them. You know, when everyone's running around in a family situation, it's hard, you know, to, to give focus time sometimes to, to your kids. And so this forces me to be able to do that. And so early in the morning, I'll rouse them from bed, which they do not like me for, but they also get free breakfast. So you know that it, it, it evens out. So we come together and uh, we sit together and we have breakfast and we talk about life. I try my best not to, you know, make it about the things that I'm, you know, think they need to change. Um, I, I try to keep it really light. But one of the things that I've been doing with my uh, second son, Christian, who's 11, 
is I've, be, I've begun to give him kind of like my gems, my pearls of, of, of manly wisdom. Because, you know, I have a lot to say about what it means to be a man. And so um, I've been talking about this. One of the, and I, I can't remember how this one came up in particular, but the last thing I told him was, you know, Christian, if you really want to be manly, when you go from point A to point B, when you're walking from point A to point B, even if you don't know exactly where point B is, walk like you do. Walk with your head held high, your chest out, like you have a purpose. Then people will be like, that's a real man. I don't know why that came up, and I don't know why that's important to me, but if you see me walking down the halls of this church, <laughs> you'll see that it doesn't always necessarily mean that I know where I'm going. Okay, so the funny thing is Christian never asks for my advice. He never says, oh, Dad, I need more wisdom. Can you give me some? All right, I just offer it to him. Because, you know, he's an 11-year-old boy. He doesn't think he needs anything. He's, just, he's as wise as it, as it comes, right? But listen to what James says, right? James says, does any of you lack wisdom? In, in, in verse 5, if, does any of you lack wisdom? Ask God. Because God is our heavenly Father, right? And heavenly Father gives, our heavenly Father gives good gifts. And he wants to give wisdom to his children. But all we have to do is ask. It's like King Solomon. King Solomon wasn't wise because he was blessed with it at birth. He didn't earn it through experience. He didn't sit at the feet of sages. He didn't read countless books to gain wisdom. What did King Solomon do? He asked. He asked God. And he said, I he said, God, give me an understanding mind so that I can govern my people. And God, in, upon hearing that, said, of course, I will give you a wise and discerning mind. And not only that, I will give you everything else you didn't ask for, riches, all of those things. So all we have to do is ask because wisdom comes from God. Wisdom comes from God. And we can ask because it is in his nature to give. It is God's character to give. Matthew 7, verse 7, and if you're paying attention, you will know that Matthew 7 is part of the Sermon on the Mount, which you will go home and read later today. Matthew chapter, chapter, chapter 7, verse 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. It is God's nature to give. God gives freely and unreservedly, holding nothing back. When the Israelites were crying out to him to free them from the slavery of Egypt, what did he give them? He gave them freedom. When they were in the desert and they had nothing to eat, they, do not knew, they didn't know where their food would come from, what did God give them? He gave them manna. And when they encountered their enemies and they had to fight for their lives, what did God give them? God gave them victory. And even when they didn't deserve it or wasn't the greatest thing for them, when Israel wanted a king, who, what did God give? who did God give them? Gave them a king. Gave them Saul. But most definitively, God gave himself to us. All of himself. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It is in his 
nature to give. And he gives us his spirit because wisdom is actually God's spirit. Wisdom comes from God, but wisdom is God's spirit. In the book of Proverbs, and I'm not going to read it to you, so you just have to take my word for it. Proverbs, in Proverbs, wisdom is personified. Wisdom is made almost like a person, like a separate entity apart from God, a separate character that works alongside of God in things like creating the universe. Wisdom is personified. This actually gives the, has, gives the Israelites and gives the Jewish people a shelf to understand God as, as more than one, right? When, when wisdom is personified in this way. And so we see this happening, that, that God's spirit is personified as wisdom. And you look at John chapter 14, verses uh, 16 to 17 to 26. Jesus says this. Do you remember when we were preaching from John 14, like 15 years ago? You remember that? John 14. It says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. This spirit of truth will be in you. This helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Does the description of the work of the Spirit not sound like wisdom to you? In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, Paul says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Wisdom comes from God. Wisdom is God's spirit. And God gives wisdom generously to all without reproach. This is the end of chapter, uh, end of verse 5. Is any of you lack wisdom? Ask God who gives generously and without reproach to all. This word generously can also be translated as singularly, as without hesitation. But James goes on to say that when you ask for wisdom, you do it without doubting. Do so without doubting in verse 6. And the doubter is doubting God's character as a generous giver. That his character is that he is a generous giver. She's okay. It's all right. James says that the doubter is like a wave of the sea. And this isn't like the wave of the sea, like a, a storm cresting wave, like, you know, crashing on another. That's not the wave that James is talking about. It's just the normal wave that is cresting, that is moving this way and this, back and forth, simply from the breeze in the wind. I was in Florida in February, and I, I went to swim in the ocean, and, and this happened to me. I swam out, and then as I was swimming back in, I thought I was going in a straight line, but I was just getting drifting this way. And then the next day, I went back to the same spot, and I started drifting this way, which was really weird. But that's the nature of the ocean and waves, that it just drifts back and forth. That is the doubter, vacillating, double-minded, as he says in verse 8. This word double-minded is, in the Greek, it's dicycos, or like literally di meaning two, and psychos meaning mind or soul, two-souled, double-minded. And so James is saying you can't be like that. Uncertain about the truth, hesitating. Matthew 6, 24 says you can, no one can serve two masters, right? Do you see that? Matthew 6, again from 
the Sermon on the Mount? You see these? Don't you love the way the Bible just fits together? Does that excite you? It excites me, as you can tell. But let's get honest here. This doubter, this person that James is, um, this person that James is describing, and this might be a little hard to hear, and, and I really ask that when you listen to this description that you, you, you take it and you reflect on yourself, okay? The doubter is the person that expects to be disappointed by God. The person who doubts, this person who is like a wave of the sea, this double-minded person, is, is almost like a person that expects that God will disappoint them. Have you been in that boat? Have you asked God for something but not really believed that he will give it to you? There's a deficiency in this doubter's fundamental understanding of who God is because at the heart of it, they don't believe that God is who he says he is, that he is a generous giver. And then by extension, if they don't believe that God is who he says he is, they don't believe that they are who God says that they are, a beloved son or daughter of the father and of the king. Are you in that boat? Is that you? James says, ask, believing that God gives because it is in his nature to give. That is true wisdom. Wisdom that comes from God, wisdom that is God's spirit living and dwelling in you. And lastly, wisdom demands action. Wisdom demands action. I want to illustrate this from a story in my own life. So I once asked God for wisdom, not quite the same way that King Solomon did. I asked at, um, uh, out of the depth of my own despair. I, uh, it was 19, the year was 1999. <laughs> and um, I was invited to join a, uh, a short-term missions trip to China. And this was a missions trip that had a, a medical bent to it. It was... Um, populated by medical professionals. And I had no reason to be on this trip. I had no medical background, nothing of the sort. I was just someone who would tag along. But the, one of the elders of my church, a pediatrician, was part of this trip, and he really felt compelled by the Spirit to invite me to join. And so I was vacillating. I'm like, why am I going on this thing? It's, I went to the first meeting, and it's like cardiologists and pharmacists and surgeons. So... Um, spoiler, I ended up going on this trip and I ended up bunking with the head of, head of neurosurgery at Vancouver General Hospital. The most brilliant man I have ever known and I was seeing him in his PJs every night. <laughs> I digress. So leading up to this trip, I'm like, who am I? What qualifications do I have to go on this trip? I am the wrong guy. Somebody got this wrong. I should not be going on this trip. And so out of that despair, I called out to God. I said, God, I need answers. Should I go? I don't think I should. And as I prayed, I remember very clearly, he gave me this vision of himself. He gave me this vision where I was standing in this room completely white, no other defining features other than just whiteness. And there was nothing else there until I turned around and there was this doorway. 
this black door frame, and beyond it was nothingness. I could not see past the other side. And it wasn't just kind of like the darkness is, oh, it's kind of dark in there. It was like you could touch it dark, you know, that you would like, you could poke it and it would bounce back at you, that kind of darkness. And so I knew in this vision that God was saying, step through the door, Kevin. Okay, maybe not in that way. He was saying, step through the door, Kevin, um, you know, very assertively. And, and I was like, no, I can't do that. I don't know what's on the other side. And God said to me, he says, you don't need to know what's on the other side. You just need to trust that I'm telling you to step through. And I'm like, I don't know, God, I can't do it. But finally, in prayer, I relented and I said, okay, I will step through. And so I remember stepping through this door. And as soon as I did, it was just like this sense of warmth just flooded over me. And it's not like he gave me answers. It's not like intellectually he gave me a vision of what I was going to do or what was going to happen. I still had no idea. But the wisdom I received from God and from his spirit was simply to trust. And that trust led me to take action, which was to go on this trip. And that trip became the catalyst for my calling to ministry. I would not be standing here today if I did not act on the wisdom that God gave me. And so wisdom demands action. When you know what the Spirit of God is saying to you about your situation, about the decision that you make, do not vacillate, do not waffle, do not hesitate, do it. Because it is the wisdom of God living in you. In summary, wisdom isn't only knowledge and intelligence. It includes the will to do what it is that you know you must do. Wisdom gives us spiritual eyes to see things as they truly are. They give us God's eyes to see our situation as it truly is. But not only that, it also gives us the strength to act on that knowledge. You see, for James, a lot of people say, James, you know, they'll... Um, They'll pit him against Paul, right? Paul is about faith, but James is about doing, right? It's about knowing and doing. But for James, it's not the difference between knowing and doing. For James, knowing is doing. Wisdom and action go hand in hand. God's spirit giving life to your thoughts and your actions so that you can no, lo you will no longer be double-minded, but you will have the very mind of Christ and so as you go home and you read the book of James from chapter 1 to chapter 5 today, look out for this theme, that having the mind of Christ is reflected in our actions. Having the mind of Christ is reflected in our actions. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the mercy that allows us to come to you, crying out, Abba, Father, crying out like Solomon, give me wisdom. And God, you give wisdom to all who ask unequivocally, unreservedly, unflinchingly, un without any hesitation, because you want your spirit to live in us. And so we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that he does what Jesus says, that he is our helper, that he brings to mind all that you have taught us. 
And so, Lord, bring us to that posture today. That when we don't know how to deal with the things, the slings and arrows that this life sends our way, that all we have to do is look to you and to ask for wisdom, to see the way that you do, to know, the, to know your mind and your heart so that we can convert that wisdom into action and live our lives in a manner that is fully devoted to our Savior and our Lord, Jesus Christ. In his, in his name we pray, amen.